the darkness would have overwhelmed us, it would have overshadowed us. But Lord, you see fit in your mercy to, to save a people for yourself, which we are included. Old folks used to say, I'm glad to be in that number. So Father, we, we do exalt you and we proclaim your mercy is more than anything else. It is more satisfying than anything else to know that the God of heaven finds us acceptable. The debt was paid because of the blood of Christ. Thank you for saving us. Truly our sins were egregious against you but you saved us and we're thankful we love you God thank you for loving us in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ amen thanks guys got your Bibles encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 1 continue our examination of the prologue of John John continues in this section to discuss the pre-incarnate glory of the Lord. He has not yet told us that this, as he will in verse 14, that this lagos, this word, this light has become flesh. Uh, he is still discussing uh, one who's, who's in a sense on his way. That will be talked about. We'll begin reading in verse 6 and we'll read through verse 13 of John chapter 1. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came unto his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we continue to examine this Glorious, I pray, gospel, the whole idea that John tells us is to believe Jesus and live. As we discussed a few weeks ago, and even in the introduction to this glorious gospel, this is the theme of the book. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Verses 6 through 13, we want to see the explanation and examination of Jesus Christ, who is the light. Jesus is the light, and John is going to explain more about him. He is going to examine what this light has done. He's going to examine who will receive this light, who is going to reject the light. As we commented, as we looked at the first five verses, that John really sets uh, the, the thematic uh, trajectory that he is going to discuss in the book. In other words, the themes that we find here are themes that we'll see throughout the book. We'll see dark and lightness, light discussed a lot. Uh, love and hate will be discussed, things like that. Those who believe, those who don't believe. 
Jesus Christ is indeed the light, and all mankind has been called to receive his light. Three points we want to make in this section this morning. Number one, the light of God revealed, we see in verse six. There came a man sent from God. Let's not miss that. John was sent by by God, and in being sent by John, he has He's qualified to tell who this light is. But what gives John the authority? How does John get the authority? Does John simply assume that authority in and of himself? Well, I would suggest to you that there are three things that give John the authority to do this, to do and say what he is saying. Number one, his ministry was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Let me read this for you. You see it here on the screen. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert, a highway for the Lord. Matthew 3, we're told that that prophecy is fulfilled. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John's ministry to be, to bear witness of the light was prophesied, not just in Isaiah, but also in Malachi. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He will clear the way before me. Malachi 4, 5, and 6, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. We're told in Luke 1, 17, when this angel is speaking to Zacharias in the temple about this son that he will one day have, he and Elizabeth. It is he, your son, who will go as the forerunner before him, the light or Jesus in him in the, spot, in the power of Elijah that we just read in Malachi to turn the hearts and the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He is authoritative because his ministry was prophesied. But not only was it prophesied, it was also commissioned by the Lord. Mark says these words about, about John. As it is written in Isaiah, behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord to make his paths straight. John is God's messenger. He is authoritatively uh, given power by God. Lastly, and pretty amazing here, and his ministry is filled with the spirit. So he's authoritative. His ministry was prophesied. It's commissioned and he's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, but not like us, brothers and sisters said of John, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine nor liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And if we've read Luke's gospel in those early chapters, we remember the story of how he actually got that feeling when Mary comes in with Elizabeth and, and the baby leaps, the baby jumps and is filled with the spirit of the living God. I want you to consider what if John wasn't qualified? What if he didn't have this authority? What if he wasn't commissioned? What if his ministry wasn't filled by the Holy Spirit? Would he be qualified to speak about the light? There are several who will come and say they speak for a person, but what are your qualifications? What gives you the authority? In the text, we're told that God sends a man. I'm amazed at this section of scripture because in the beginning, here in verse 6, God sends a man by his grace to reveal himself to mankind. At the end in verse 13, we're not born again by anything that we might do, but God's grace is what saves us. See, brothers and sisters, it's grace from beginning to end. It's all about grace. Uh, Maybe I should rephrase that. It's from the beginning to the end and also in the middle. 
It's about grace. God so revealed himself through a man, I'm going to send my man to talk about my light, my son, who is God. The light is coming, and John is going to testify of this light. We're told in the second part of this verse, the identity of the witness, John. When we get to verse 19, we'll talk more about John's ministry. Now, John was a preacher, y'all. John was Baptist. We know, (laughs) pardon the pun, John... John was a fire and brimstone kind of guy, and we'll look at his messages. You can't preach like John preaches anymore. Man, you get kicked out of your church pretty quick. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? I need that James Earl Jones voice for that one. I mean, could you, could you man, that's, that's John in the wilderness. So we'll talk more about him, but he's sent by God. His name is John. By the way, in the naming of John, where did that even come from? From God. Remember, how shall these things be, Zechariah says. Well, let me give you a little power to let you know how it's going to be. You're not going to talk. Remember, he couldn't speak. His son, your name's going to be, he was commissioned by God. The name was given by God to John as he, or to Zacharias as he names John. Well, what did he come to do? What's the testimony of this witness? Well, let's keep reading. He was witness, we see in verse 7, to testify about the light. He's going to testify and proclaim what the light is and what the light is doing. Why? So that all might believe through him. What did we say? The end of this verse is the verses that we just read about what this book is about. It's about belief. It's about trusting in the light who has come. John is coming that he might testify about the light, that he might tell others about the light. It is not about John. It is not about what he wants to talk about. He talks about the light. It is not his, about his own pursuits. He is fixated on the light. It's not about what John wants to worship. He worships the light. He worships Jesus. The goal in his ministry is Jesus. John doesn't set up a ministry center and call it John the Baptist Ministries. It's about the light. It's about the one, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. May our witness be clearly about Jesus. May it never be to get people to our church. It's good that they come to church, but it's more important that they come to Jesus. May it never be that they get what our political affiliations and our pet peeves and social ideas that we have about things, but rather that they come to Jesus. It says that Jesus, in John's mind, Jesus is the one to be testified. Jesus is the one to be talked about. There's a lot of things we can talk about, but are we talking about the light? John testifies of the light. Why? So people might believe. I can persuade you to be a Cowboys fan. Some of you. Some of you are still in darkness and remain till forever. I could talk to you, to talk to you about my favorite basketball team, the books, I, all these different things I can seek to persuade you. None of that matters, brothers and sisters. What matters is that you and we talk about the light. Why isn't Jesus more on our tongue? Isn't he good? Isn't he wonderful? Don't we sing about him? We talk about his mercy, but why don't we talk about him? I think some of us are even comfortable and say, Jesus, I love you. It's weird for us. Jesus, I thank you for loving me. John testifies about the light. His ministry is focused on the light. Brothers and sisters, the death knell will be ringing for Bethel the day we stop talking about Jesus correctly. When Jesus becomes just a good man, Bethel's done. Ministry here is done. When Jesus becomes just a good man, when Jesus is no longer the light, when Jesus is no longer the way, the only way, ministry ceases. 
So we see in this first section, God is revealing the light through the ministry of John. But we find that the light of God is going to be rejected. Jesus will be rejected throughout this gospel. Here it's spoken of about this true light. Verse 9, this was true light which is coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came into his own and those who were his own did not receive him. The light of God will be rejected. What does John mean when he talks about this whole idea of Jesus in verse 9 or the Lagos being the true light? Well, the true light in Greek, and as John often uses it, is it means real or genuine. It's authentic. We might say it's the real deal. It is the one to be followed. It is the one that is true as opposed to error. We will see this word true reference later and think of this idea, the same idea, this genuine or real idea. You know it in John 4.23, Jesus speaking to this, to this woman at the well says, it's true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth. Authentic, genuine. Jesus says in John 6.32, I am the true bread which comes down out of heaven. He proclaims himself to be in John 15, 1, the true vine. He even speaks of God, John does, as being the true God, the genuine God, the authentic God. It's amazing in our world, both both then and now, and we can expect it in the future, there are many people or institutions, groups of people who will say that we we, we have the truth here. We, We are true. John says, no, Jesus, he is the true light. He is the authentic light. And there are other errors. There are other dark lights proclaiming to be light, but they're actually dark. But Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the true light. And you think about that, brothers and sisters, who else can show the world the truth? But Jesus, Jesus says, I am the truth, not a truth, the truth. Who else is going to give us insight about life? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of time and eternity? What is the meaning of our existence? We look to the true light to give us an idea. Jesus is the only way, only one. He is the only way that can give us an understanding of what truth is. Not just in his life, brothers and sisters, but also in ours. Remember, we're to walk as he walked. Jesus was a purveyor of truth. We ought not just speak truth, but also live truth. John says he is the true light coming into the world. Now, depending on your translation, you may have some issues on how you interpret some of this. So I want to try to clarify, and then we have to do, do, dig a little deeper on some areas. And I got time now. I don't have to be rushed like I did first service. All right, if I carry a KJV or a New King James Version, my translation of verse 9 will say what you see here. That was a true light which lighteth every man cometh, that cometh into the world. Now the question is, what is cometh into the world modifying? Um, the KJV in New King James seems to leave it a little ambiguous. It's difficult to know, is he talking, is he modifying man, every man, or is he modifying the true light? Now, the NASB, ESV, and NIV, um, when it was good, uh, at least the NIV, it's a little shaky now, um, say it this way, as you can see the various translations. There was the true light in New American Standard, coming into the world enlightens every man. So what is coming into the world modifying? New American Standard, true light. 
Um, same with ESV, same with NIV. So we don't want to be clear because if, if we're going to say that, what does it mean that every man that cometh into this world gets light? How are we interpreting that? What does it mean? And notice the, just a different little language, even in the New American Standard from the ESV and the NIV. It says it enlightens every man, gives light to every man. Are those all the same ideas? What does it mean for every man by the light that has come into the world to receive either enlightenment or some level of light? What does that mean? See, here's the problem. And here's why we got to dig deep. This has deep, deep Deep theological implications. If you were to go and take a comparative religions class, you will find that a majority, a lot of religions have this idea of light. And oftentimes that light is in a person. You will take Unitarian, the universalist type churches, and they will say that this light exists in all men. That's how they can say what? All paths lead to God. See, there's this light in all of us. And all you have to do, guys, is just follow your light. Okay, and Dave, your, your light's taking you this way, and mine's taking me up the center. Some are on the back of the mountain coming this way, but we all have the same light, and we're all going up to the same mountain because we all have that shared light. There are other Christians who will say things similar to that, that God has given every person that's ever existed this inner light, this kind of part of himself. It's an interesting thought. It's an interesting idea, especially when non-Christian religions even take it. Eastern mysticism would take it and say this divine consciousness, that there's a part of God in you. And therefore, what you just must, you must do is reach this universal consciousness that we all must get on the same page. And that's not done by any religion It's done by the inner light that must consume you. But you've got to shed yourself. You've got to meditate. I would get in a lotus position, but if I did, there's not enough paramedics in the world to get me out of it. I've got to pursue that divine consciousness. By the way, I don't necessarily get it in this life. What must I do for it to fully be realized? I've got to come back again until I realize it. See, these things have implications. Now, why do you say, well, what does that have to do with... Because they will say Jesus was a prophet and he talked about that light being in all people as well. So what does Jesus mean? Salvifically, it has issues because there in the church, there will be some in the church that will take part of that thinking and say that man, have you heard this before? Babies are born innocent. Have you heard that? That is not biblical language. We inherit something from our federal head. Who's our federal head? Adam. We inherit something from him. Uh, just let me let you in. Not a 401k. It's not a home in Malibu. It's a uh, sin nature. That's what we inherit from Adam. Uh, Vodi Bakum calls babies vipers and diapers. <laughs> they're, they're little sinners. I know you love them and they're great and they coo and they cry and they make all noises. But they're sinners. But see, there's a part of the church that says, no, they're innocent. They have this light in them that makes them neutral or innocent. Which gives them abilities. And this is where it has, man, if we had the time, we would talk about, you know, the Pelagian captivity of the church and how semi-Pelagianism took over. How basically, if I believe that idea, I believe that man is completely neutral. And I can either, I can look at God and I can choose him or not choose him. 
And I can just make my, by my own volition. Very dangerous thought. That is not biblical language. And I know some of that rubs you because you start to say, well, what about free will? What, what about the will? The will is in bondage to the flesh. I don't doubt the will, but it's in bondage. But if I'm saying that I'm open, that's not biblical language. If I'm saying that I'm partially damaged, which is what semi-Pelagianism says, then I'm saying, oh, man, I've got, a, I've got prevenient grace. Prevenient grace either working on the outside, showing me Christ, and I can either reject him or accept him, or prevenient grace on the inside, that I can either accept him or reject him. I was like, guys, that sounds really good. The remonstrance wrote good on that. Jacob Arminius wrote a lot on that in response to the doctrine of Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. But brothers and sisters, that's just not biblical language when Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Jesus says nobody can come to me unless the Father, Father draws him. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, Jesus is going to say in this very chapter. That's why when you look at verses like this, people can take, have you ever heard a person take a verse out of context? Duh. They can take verses like this and run with it. That's why it's important to dig in and dig deep and understand these things and just not let it pass by. Well, I read it. I get it. What does he mean? And I believe what he means, and I think it's expressed more clearly in Romans 1. Where the truth was given to people where or how? Through their, through their conscience. But that's not all, and that's called general revelation, by the way. It's, that's not the only place where God has left himself a witness. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord day by day pours forth speech. In other words, mankind, even fallen mankind, can look upon nature and say, there is something greater than me out there. The inner witness that I have to what's right and what's wrong. But Romans 1 doesn't leave us just with men have this consciousness. What do they do? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's why you wonder why our world's getting worse because they're suppressing the truth. I don't want, I'm running away from the light. I'm running away from, from I want to remain in, in darkness. So this light, this way of enlightening men, God has written himself in the sense of a conscience on all men. He has left himself a witness in, in nature. But this inner light discussion, brothers and sisters, be very careful when you're thinking these things through, because that ecumenical spirit can start, yes, we, well, I can see, because, you know, the people are good. You know, people do good things. Okay, who defines what's good? Now, if I'm defining what's good, there's a lot of things that are good. But if God's defining what's good, what's good? It's not good if it doesn't bring him glory. See, that's the difference. If we look at it, well, it's just good. There's good people out there. Are they glorifying God in that action? Well, well, no. And it's not good from God's estimation. I'm not saying it doesn't benefit society, that people can't do things from our vantage point that are good. But from God's vantage point, it's not good because it doesn't glorify him. Does it bring him honor? Does it make his name famous? All right, man. Eh, I'm not worried about that thing. Right, amen. Didn't hear anything, but I assume you did. You did that. That was a silent amen. That's okay. He was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world. Okay, we got to go through this real quick because we need to see this throughout John's gospel. How does John use the word world? He uses it in three different ways. 
First of all, he uses it in terms of the physical world itself. John 16, 21, whenever a woman is labor, she has pain because their hours come. When she gives birth to a child, she no longer remains the anguish because of the joy that, has, that a child has been born into the world. We're talking about the physical world itself. John refers to it that way. Uh, secondly, he talks about the human world or humanity. Uh, most famously, this is expressed in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. He is talking about the world of humanity. Finally, as we see in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, the satanic world system, right? Do not love the, the world or anything that is in the world because what's in the world? Three different things. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, and the world is passing away. John 7, verse 7, the world is going to hate you because you testify of it, that its deeds are evil. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The satanic world system not only hates Jesus, who else does it hate? The followers of Jesus, those who dwell and walk in the light. There is no ambivalent. It, it, see, we, we like to think it's neutral. Well, he's kind of cool with me. Satan is not cool with you. He's not okay with you. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy the works of the Son that we pray are happening in our lives. So in this very text, we see that those in the world that he created, the world was made through him. Now, which, which way is the world, is, which world does John mean when he says the world was made through him? Physical world and the human world. As a result of the fall, the satanic world comes in. But, but John, oftentimes it's just, it's really hard to say, okay, which, what is he talking about? He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. Okay, now let's think about this. The world does not know him. Is he talking about the satanic world? Does the satanic world, as we look at the body of scripture, do Satan and his demons know who Jesus is? Absolutely. Jesus, what do we have to do with you? Our time has not yet come. Jesus, leave us alone, the demons say. Okay, is it the physical world? Does the physical world not know Jesus? Mm -hmm. You know what? I think the physical world does. Let's pause here for a second. Romans 8 has this little section that, that the world travaileth. Where's my KJV folks? Gary's not here. The world travaileth and groaneth until noweth. It seems to suggest that nature is responding to its creator and it desires to be redeemed. It desires to be, you know, for Christ's works and his glory to be made manifest. Now, I'm not going to run with that because, because I don't know how far we can take that. But there's something there. But most likely, what is he talking about? The people that don't know him, humans. The world of humanity did not know him. Why did they reject him? Why does the world reject Jesus? Have we not? See, here's, here's the problem. Here's why we need to answer this question. Because we think the world doesn't reject Jesus because we haven't made ourselves cool enough. Right? We need to be more attractive. Not physically attractive, you know. We need to make this place more cool. We, we, better cushions on seats, lattes. Right? We, we got to have a slamming stage up here. We need smoke. Boom. You know, Scott's got to get a drum solo every now and then. <laughs> We got to be cool. We got to be hip. We got to make you comfortable. Right? That's what the world says. 
We want to be attractive to you. So if we were just more attractive, the world would love Jesus. Okay, a smoke machine's going to help you love Jesus. Don't get it. The reason why the world hates the light, Jesus, because they're blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4, we've talked about it a lot. The God of this world has blinded their eyes that they cannot see. Secondly, another reason why they reject and hate him, they love their sin. They love being in darkness. I don't know about you, but I remember the time before I knew Christ. I I was a good sinner and I loved sin. I loved closing the bar down. I'm just being honest with you. I loved shooting pool all night, laughing and telling jokes and have it, man. That was like, this is living. This is alive. Because I was a good person. Until Jesus showed me my heart. Whoa, it's me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. My eyes have seen the king Men love darkness. They don't want the light. But isn't it wonderful to know, brothers and sisters, they don't bow to him now, but all men will bow to him one day. Philippians 2, for this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One day they will. They don't want him now, but they're going to bow before him one day. So Jesus is is rejected. His own do not want him. The world does not receive him. I want you to think about that for a moment in verse 11. When is Jesus's ministry prophesied? Where does it start? Genesis 3, Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. Seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent is going to bruise the heel of the seed all the way back in Genesis. The promised seed of Eve is going to come. We get more and more information about this Messiah, this son of David, this bright and morning star, this balm and Gilead, this wonderful counselor, this prince of peace, this mighty God is coming. He comes to his own. They don't want him. You don't fit the bill. You're not the kind of savior, Messiah, king that we expected. You did not come with an arson of weapons. You did not come with language of rebellion against the Romans. You don't fit the bill. We don't want you, Jesus. There was no room for you in the inn, and there's no room for you in the temple. There's no room for you in the synagogue. Unfortunately, they would say there's no room for you in my heart from his own people. He comes to his own, and they receive him not. That's why we're not surprised at the compassion of our Savior as he weeps over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew, you have missed your day of visitation. The sunrise on high has come. Your Messiah is here. They will not have it. 
Now, it's unfortunate that they won't have it, but there's people in this room that won't have it either. They will reject the Messiah and say, Jesus, I don't want you. I've got this all figured out. I'm good enough. I'm good. I'm a good person. I do good things. You know, little old lady across the street, and you know, cat's in a tree. I'm, I'm up the tree, getting the cat out, I buy Girl Scout cookies. I'm good. I do all these good things. I come to church. I even carry a Bible on occasion, and I even open it sometimes. I endure your sermons. Do you want Jesus today? Do you want him? We can indict them. Right, Donna? We can indict them. It's very easy to indict them. But what about ourselves? Andres, what about us? Do we want Jesus? Or do we want him on our terms? We used to sing at our old church, take all of me. Lord, I'm laying down my life at your feet. Take, take all of me. Will you take all of Jesus? Or the part that just makes you feel good? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Renounce your own life. That's what it means to follow and believe in Jesus. That's what it means to follow the light, to be in the light. The light's rejected. Unfortunately, brothers and sisters, our world, the light continues to be rejected, doesn't it? Jesus is not hip anymore. He's not enough. We need more. Well, the text doesn't end. Came into his own. Those who were his own did not receive him. But verse 12, we see it interrupted. We see those who have received him. The light of God received, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's a group of people that believe the ministry of John in pointing them to Jesus, the, the Lamb of God. They believed in the light, and they're now a part of the family of God. The light has been received. See, I've got a new family. See, I've got a new home. I've got a new eternity because God sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. And I was caused to believe. My heart was open that I might see my sin, but also see the glorious light that is there to save me. We're in God's family. The benefit of being in the light, you're in God's family. I, I don't know that, that count. You're, you're in God's family. You're not in Smith's. You ain't in Smith. Smith. F. You're in God's family. You've been adopted into God's family. Scripture says that you can now refer to him as Abba, Father. Now think about the benefits of being in God's family. God only expresses his fatherly love towards you. God only cherishes and nurtures you. He gives you his gracious care. Matthew 6 says, why do you worry? I take care of the birds of the field. I will care for you. Not only do I love and not only do I care for you, but because I love and I care for you, I will discipline you. Uh, children, you wonder why your parents discipline you. you got to take, take my ear. If you don't hear anything else, kids, the reason why they discipline you should be because they love you. If they don't discipline you, Proverbs says they 
they hate you. If God doesn't discipline his children or is not disciplining you, you may not be his child. God disciplines his children. That's a privilege. That's grace. He cares for us. Um, We are heirs of eternal glory. We will sit at the day. We'll sit at the, this just overwhelms me at times. I will sit at the table of the Lord with Jesus and I will see him face to face and I will break bread with him. We will no longer need the sun. We'll see God. God will be our complete light. We will be completely satisfied. We're not strumming on some guitar on, you know, floating on some cloud. We are interacting with one another, singing worthy is the lamb who was slain. Glory to God. We're heirs of a kingdom. You're in God's family. That's one of the benefits of being in God's family. Lastly, we get to communicate to God day or night. There's a brother told me, I was talking, he said, man, I'm going through it. I'm going to have to call you at one or two in the morning. I was like, well, you can call. You can call at one or two. I'm not sure I'm going to answer, but you, you can surely call. I will try. Isn't it wonderful to know that we can go to God anytime in prayer? Any situation He's never too tired. He's never too worn out. He's not going to put you on hold. He's going to listen intently to the cries of his children. That's one of the, many of the benefits of being in God's family. Well, last couple pieces of this. I love verse 13. How did we get into God's family? Well, he tells us initially why we don't get into God's family. Children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born. Now, by the way, we'll see another word added to born in John chapter 3. What word is that? Again, who were born again, we could say, not of, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What's he talking about there? That there is no racial identity or because you're this tribe or this people group, this ethne, doesn't mean you're going to be part of God's family. Well, I'm an ex, I'm, I'm, I'm this. So therefore, God's cool with all the people that are in X. So therefore, I'm in the kingdom. John says, no, it's not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, your own personal desire. We know that from Romans 3. There is none that desire him. We didn't want God. So it's not of your ethnic background, your pedigree. It's not a personal desire. It's not some man-made system, the will of man. It's not any of those things. So how in the world or what causes us to believe? Three little last words at the end of the verse. But of God. The reason for being in the light, God's grace. God saw fit to draw you to himself. If you've never studied Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation, study it. It's worth looking at. How were you able to believe? Because God regenerated you first, then gave you eyes to see, gave you the faith to believe. It's all of him. It's God's grace from beginning to end. That's why we praise him. That's why some of us act a fool and start crying when you think about where you were and what he's bringing you to. God, why would you display your grace to to me? Why would you look upon a sinner like me? Some of us understand that, right? And we're thankful that God saved us by his amazing, 
amazing grace. This isn't David writing this book. John writes it. He says it's no reason other than God himself has caused us to believe. He opened our eyes that we might see, that we might be in the light. Some who reject, some who receive. Where are you this morning? Receiving the light? Walking in the light? I would say part and parcel for walking in the light and receiving the light is proclaiming the light. That our life is not our own. Our goal is to see others in the light. Amen? But if I'm rejecting the light, I haven't received it, obviously. I'm not walking in it. How am I going to lead others out of darkness? How am I going to introduce them to the light? I can't. How can I live out Matthew 5, 16? Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the question for all of us this morning, and John's point as we saw this, is to testify about the light so that you might believe. Do you believe today? Do you believe that Jesus is the light? Do you believe Jesus is the only light? He is. Now, will you proclaim that to a lost and dying world? Title this series, Believe Jesus and Live. Need I remind us of the consequences of unbelief? John chapter 5, Jesus is going to talk about eternal life, and there are two. Everybody gets eternal life. The question is, where are you going to be eternally? Let's pray together. Father, the ancient prophet says, rise, shine, for the light has come. And Father, I don't proclaim to be a John the Baptist, but I don't testify of myself. I don't testify of Bethel Church, BFC denomination. I don't testify of my ethnicity, my gender. None of those things are salvific. None of those things will bring salvation. I testify the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light that has come into the world. He is displaying God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's truth. He is displaying proper worship and reverence, obedience. And Lord, I pray that those under the sound of my voice have trusted in him, have believed in him.